even when teaching, my goal every session, it never happens. I've never done this, but my goal is always to come in there and just say nothing. I'm just going to say nothing. But <laughs> sure. I try to approach it with that mindset of I'm only going to talk when it's necessary. So if you come to my session, anybody listening, you'll probably be a little bit underwhelmed. If your goal is to help your athletes get faster, then this is the episode for you. One of America's elite speed and performance coaches, Les Spellman has trained several Olympians as well as athletes in the NFL, NCAA, and USA Rugby. Most notably, however, he has guided a large percentage of his youth athletes to college scholarships. And in this episode, we're really going to dive into the models and systems that Les uses to evaluate, train, and coach his athletes and help them get as fast as humanly possible. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, while I've always been interested in speed, I really started diving into this area over a decade ago because I wanted to help my athletes get an advantage on the field. And in today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into Les's training methods. We'll start by talking about his acceleration model, the multiple phases you see in acceleration, and three things he wants every athlete to demonstrate when running. We discuss the universal laws of acceleration and then how that might be different across sports or when moving from team sports to the track. We take a deep dive into force velocity profiling for speed and how to give your athletes exactly what they need to get faster. And last but not least, we'll talk about how Les is using force plates in his combine prep programs to taper and peak his athletes more effectively. Quite simply, if you wanna learn more about speed, Les is your guy, and I know you're gonna love this episode. So we're gonna take a quick break, and then we'll jump into this awesome new show with Les Spellman. Today's episode of the Physical Preparation Podcast is brought to you by Hawken Dynamics. Hawken Dynamics consider themselves part of the process, not the process. Force plates are in no way, shape, or form new technology, but Hawken has brought them to the 21st century. Hawken Dynamics plates are wireless, which makes them portable and easy to set up and use. You'll have the ability to performance test your athletes in a matter of seconds and give them immediate feedback on their strengths and weaknesses. And last but not least, their software interface is clean, intuitive, and easy on the eye, so both you and your athletes can visualize what's going on and how to improve their performance. Now, the reason I invested in Hawken Dynamics Force Plates was simple. I was tired of feelings and subjective information being the sole driver of my decision-making process. At this point in my career, I want a blend of both subjective assessments and objective-driven metrics to drive my program design. I love the idea of having dual force plates so you can see side-to-side differences and asymmetries, especially in athletes who are in the return to play process. I wanna be able to collect and track data across the athletic spectrum, from our young kiddos to my elite athletes that are playing in the NBA or MLS. Another driver for me was finding ways to assess performance that aren't reliant on lifting technique. While I would never bring a kid in and test their 1RM squat or deadlift on day one, I have zero issue putting them on force plates to test their power in a vertical jump or their force output in a mid-thigh pull or iso squat. 
but arguably the biggest driver for me was being able to take all of this technology and making it incredibly easy to use. With options to lease or buy, coupled with a five-year warranty, I'm confident that Hawken Dynamics Force Plates can take your performance facility to the next level. To learn more, head over to hawkendynamics.com or follow them on Instagram at Hawken Dynamics. Or for direct sales inquiries, feel free to reach out to Drake Berberay directly at drake at hawkendynamics.com or follow him on Instagram at strength2.speed. Wes, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Super excited to have you on. Could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. I do bad at this part because I usually go too deep. <laughs> And then it's, oh, 40 minutes of the show was like less talking about his kids. So <laughs> I'll be brief on here. But I'm a coach, obviously. This is my 10th year. I'm actually, I'm getting old. I'm getting up there. I'm 34 now. Oh, um, man. But I had an interesting journey just to get into coaching. I had a broken femur, which left me basically not able to run and took that as like motivation, prove everyone wrong at first, like kind of like this anger response. And ended up learning how to run, but also walking onto a division one track team. And I got there and I was like, yo, like they're going to teach me everything about running. I'm obviously going to become an Olympian. I was like, everything is in this <laughs> and quickly found out that's not how college track and field programs run. They're not built to develop necessarily like your talent. They're there to really just manage talent in a lot of mm -hmm. ways. And so I spent a lot of nights on the library looking for speed books and on Google and on YouTube that just first came out. That That's crazy to think about. YouTube just come out when I was in college. So <laughs> I'm on that early YouTube. So you type in yeah. speed training and early YouTube, man, it was bad. So I was like, I feel like I knew at that point, like my athletic career was probably not going to go past college. And I dived into coaching like almost right away. And I was 22 years old. I was halfway broke, halfway homeless. And trying to figure it out and interning different spots. And I felt like there was, I felt like there was a huge gap in the market because at the time there was a lot of strength coaches. There's a lot of conditioning specialists. There wasn't really anybody teaching running and sprinting. And I got an opportunity to work with USA rugby right before the Olympics. Like this is 2014. So a year and a half, 18 months before the Olympics and build out a year and a half plan to make athletes faster for the Olympics. And it was cool. It was a little pressure because we weren't very good at the time. And uh, the coach was all bought into speed and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I had these really smart guys down at the Olympic training center. Like I would bump into Ralph Mann and bumped into Dan Path a couple of times. And I didn't know who they were at the time. I was like, they're older guys. They probably know what they're talking about. <laughs> Come to find out they're like the smartest people in the world yeah. at speed. But I was able to bump into them and kind of learn. And I was really under fire to, to produce and that pressure helped me start my coaching career. So I did that, did the Olympic side for a couple of years. My recommendation, if you want to get into the Olympic side is have another job because I was broke as hell <laughs> and it, it was not fun. So that's five years, boom. So that's half my career. And then I get out of that and I'm like, all right, I want to make money. So I dive into the NFL combine side of things like right away. And I just email every single agent. I found this database at every agent's email. And some of them would hit me back like, how'd you get my email? You know, they were not <laughs> trying to they were not trying to hear from me. But right. uh, I got one to send me a guy. He was like, look, Wes, I can't pay you anything. But here, you can have a guy that's never going to make it. And 
I was like, <laughs> cool. Well, that guy made it and he, he definitely made it and he won a couple of Super Bowls and he's, you know, still in the league. But I, okay. I took that, flipped that into a couple more guys the next year, a couple more to the point now it's like we had, I don't even know now, I think 12 first rounders over the past couple of years. But yeah, it's been cool. A couple of number one picks, which is not that relevant for the podcast, but it's still, cool. It, to be yeah. honest, it has not, nothing to do with your coaching ability. It's marketing. It's, I mean, I could have, it, yeah, it's, it is what it is. But anyway, and then I was like, this is fun, but I want to make an impact. And that's where the business side came in where I was like, okay, I want to create a business. I don't want to, I don't want to just help people go from 10 million to $30 million. I, I want to help kids and I want to help people grow and I want to influence people. And that's where I'm at now. So I love it. That was my I love it. three minute. I don't know how long that was three minutes, probably. <laughs> no, that was good. That was yeah, good. That was like yeah. three, three, four minutes. So I want to talk more about the youth stuff later because I'm fascinated by that. But I want to actually go back before. Let's start at the beginning. What got you into physical preparation in the first place, right? What yeah. got you into working out, running track, all that good stuff? Yeah, I, I was actually a pretty average athlete. I wasn't in high school, I played sports because my friends played sports. And it was like, mm. well, that's what you do after school. And it wasn't like, I'm taking this serious. I never practiced on my own like that. One sport I was serious about growing up was boxing, but I wasn't too ambitious on what I could do. I, and I didn't really believe in myself. But when I was 17 I, and I had that car accident and broke my femur, doctors were like, dude, like running is not possible. Like, you're kind of you're kind of stuck here. Like we can't help you. And I became super motivated at that point to dive into the research of how athletes move and how athletes prepare. And I got into that and which got me into division one program. Cause I was just working, doing pool workouts, looking at Charlie Francis's stuff at the time. It was 2007. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I was diving in like really for myself. Like I didn't really care about helping other people at that time. It was like, I just wanted to be the best sure. athlete I could be. And then as I was growing, I was like, man, I need a better environment. So I started studying like college football environments, soccer environments. And then even when I was like initially working with the rugby team, like I was still trying to be an athlete, like a little bit, like in my mind, I was like, I'll probably just coach for a little bit, then come back. So a lot of the information I was going and seeking was like for myself to get faster yep. and better. Um, and in exchange, I was just like teaching it. But at a certain point, it switched over to completely like, man, like, this is awesome. Like, you can actually go and read something, take some notes, and then go apply it in the same day and help somebody's career. This is awesome. Yes. Like, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. I love it, man. Well, obviously, you're known for speed. That's what I want to talk to you about today. And really, I want to focus on acceleration because I'm fascinated by acceleration. I work with tons of, like, field and court sports. And I think one thing that I always like to start with is a mental model for movement, right? So whether it's a squat, a lunge, a deadlift, it helps our athletes understand how a movement should look or feel. So to begin, would you just start by giving us a breakdown of your acceleration model? What are the big rocks or how do you explain it to a new athlete? Yeah, well, starting with the beginning, like what is acceleration? It's, it's, a, it's interesting because if you ask that question, even a, a, amongst the coach community, probably get a couple different answers. Some people will say, well, it's 20 yards. It's 10 yards. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a distance and it's not, yeah, it's really just change in velocity. So understanding like how your change in velocity is in relation to time and really good accelerators can change your velocity fast, like Tyreek Hill. Poor 
accelerators might be somebody that's, I don't know, think of a distance runner trying to build up and hit top speed. That's poor acceleration. <laughs> so it's the simplest way to think about it is like, how do I reach my top speed? So acceleration is everything up until the moment of top speed. And you could probably get technical on that, like what percentage, whatever, but it's sure. basically everything building up to top speed. And what I'm particularly interested in is how athletes reach that top speed, not so much exactly what their top speed is. So to give you context, I work with players all the time where they're in the NFL, they're on year six, and I am not trying to make their speed go from 21 to 22 miles per hour. That would be great, but that's not 100% of my focus. My focus would yep. be accessing their ability to accelerate well. And if you look at a game, you might see 60 accelerations in a game. And a lot of those are, there's like, a good percentage of those that are maximal accelerations in a game. So yep. it's something that happens frequently throughout sports. Now, if you if you run track, acceleration looks different than if you play soccer or play basketball, all those sports. But if you look at what a game is, you look at the volume of accelerations we have in a game, you have to think about how do I prepare for that sheer volume? And then how do I prepare for the intensity of it? So how aggressive are they? So I became particularly interested in breaking acceleration phase down into several components and the easiest way to explain it is uh, there's an early acceleration so early acceleration is going from very low speed and it's initial it's like how do i initially accelerate and think about like sport like basketball or tennis this becomes particularly important and it's also something that's extremely highly trainable because it's a stimulus that if you just provide resistance on, then it's one of those things you provide resistance on that, on the body to accelerate early. And you do that over a couple of weeks, you're going to improve that ability. You're going to get strength in the horizontal vectors. Sure. I think it's, I think it's really cool. The next phase I look at is late acceleration. So late acceleration is I'm going from that initial phase, like the end of that initial phase, and I'm moving into my velocity. And this is something, if you look at a sport like soccer, you see an athlete accelerate to beat a single defender and then they go to that next level when they transition to from midfield into maybe the 18 box like they're accelerating into that you know continuing to climb in velocity or think about a receiver like Odell Beckham that beats a defender one-on-one -on -one and then continues to accelerate past the secondary right so that that becomes particularly important too and that's another easily trainable thing where you can have a light resisted medium resisted uh, stimulus for the athlete and they can improve or you can have power exercises, whatever. And then you have your velocity phase. So that's as you're reaching into that velocity, how do you manage it? Right. So I look at it from two, two standpoints. There's a physical requirement, like there's a physical, I guess, a physical bucket that you could fill to improve acceleration. And then you have sure. a technical bucket that you can improve acceleration. And a lot of times when I look at Twitter or YouTube. I try not to, but you see a lot of <laughs> people that are like, it's one or the other. Like it's only technical, put your foot here, do this. And then you have the other group, it's just lift and do this. Right. And everyone's right, but it's a combination of all things. You, yes. you feel different buckets at different times. So that was a long-winded answer, but yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. No, I, I love it. And I get frustrated in that too, because I think people like to really look at things through a very narrow lens or scope. But if you're in coaching, right, your job is to get a result. And so I'm not just yeah. going to focus on just the technical piece or just the physical piece. 
I'm going to look at all of those constituent parts and I'm going to hammer all of them because again, it's about getting a training result, right? It's not about being right or wrong. It's, Hey, I'm going to take these five things and work on all of them. If it's going to give me the result that I want. Exactly. Yep. So I love it. As far as coaching cues, things of that nature, are there things that you constantly come back to or rely on that work well for you when you're coaching acceleration? Yeah. I mean, like every, everything is borrowed. So like I hear other people say things, I'm gonna try that and come up with a few things. I mean, really like acceleration is just about being violent and aggressive. And if you can relate it to boxing for me, like growing up as a boxer, like kind of relate everything back to that. So you'll probably hear five references, but <laughs> that's cool. And in, in boxing, you can't think and be aggressive at the same time. So if I'm thinking a lot, it's hard for me to throw the punches and just let it go. Like you kind of have to, yep just let it happen and just push and just know you're going to be aggressive. So that's always start there. Second thing, you really want to project yourself into space. Obviously you don't want to project yourself straight up. You don't want to project yourself straight down. You want to find an optimal projection angle, which is going to be pretty specific to your power strength levels, but projection is a huge one. And then I love the word retraction. I don't know who said it first. I might've stolen it from Jonas or someone else, but Retraction is a word that I like because it really you're talking about retracting that thigh back into the ground and making these powerful strikes into the ground and being able to project yourself forward continuously by by this retraction hitting the ground. Yeah, I mean, I don't use a lot. And to be honest, like I try to keep most of the coaching on the drill. So if we do drills, we don't do a ton, but if we do four or five drills, I keep the coaching there. And then when they run, I let them run. And whatever they've yeah. learned and expressed from what I was teaching in the drill portion, they're going to express. And if I didn't do a good job, they're not going to express it at all. So yes. I judge myself based around that. But yeah, I don't have a ton of cues. Well, but that makes sense because you just said it's hard to be violent and aggressive if you're thinking about stuff, right? So that was going to yeah. kind of be my next thought was like, okay, where are you getting those cues in? Where are you developing the technique? And if you're building that out in the drills, right, and you're doing a good job there, then it should hopefully carry over when they're doing like the time sprints, right? Yeah, exactly. Like you, you want to build a, a really healthy, robust microdose like drill group. So I'm constantly drilling these things constantly over yep. and over until they're just like, until they become just a part of them. And it doesn't have to be a lot of drills. You could pick four or five. Like I talk to Stu McMillan like all the time and he's like, take those drills out. And I'm like, yeah, like <laughs> I, I definitely keep trying and I'll take them out and I'm like, yo, you're right. And then I come back to a couple. So like the goal would be to remove the drills and he's a hundred percent right. Yes. You don't want to become a drill program. You want to be a sprint program, but the drills provide right. context. And when I have athletes for four to six weeks at a time, it's like, you've got to kind of come back to the basics. Yeah. No, I think that's super valuable. And like you said, sometimes unless they're just naturally world-class at acceleration, in which case you probably don't need to coach them that much anyways. A lot of the guys that are coming to you, that's part of why they're there, right? They need to rebuild some of those foundational skills so that hopefully they can leave and they're faster when they leave you, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Very cool. So something that I love about you is you've coached across all these different sports, right? Soccer, football, rugby. Are you coaching acceleration differently? I know you talked about like different phases, right? Early versus late acceleration. Maybe you're not seeing a lot of top end in basketball, but across sports, how are you maybe coaching acceleration differently? Yeah, it's a good question. It's not too different, to be honest. Like, it's kind of like 
how are you teaching the clean different for football players versus rugby players versus soccer? It's the clean, like it's an exercise and it has a lot of transfer if you do it correctly. And if you load it and progress it and sprinting is pretty similar. Now what changes in that is the volume of work that we might do. So like the volume Mm -hmm. of work that we do for soccer is a little bit different than the volume of work that we do for football. It's a little bit different than the volume of work we do for tennis and then the intensities that you're going to touch. Are we going to, are we going to spend a lot of time around hundred percent, 95 to hundred percent zone in basketball and soccer? Probably not. We'll probably just touch on minimal effective dosages, but for soccer and football, I might have to get a decent amount of volume in that zone because if I look at a game, I might touch that zone for 50 to a hundred yards every game. Yeah. So I need to build a big reserve, like more than that in the off season so that when I get to the season, I can handle that stress. But when it comes down to like the teaching, I'm going to teach you how to accelerate, right? I'm going to teach you how to run it at velocity. Not really. It's all relatively the same. And it's, my mom is an artist, right? And she, yep. she paints oil on canvas and she's done it for man, 50 years, right? And oh, wow. <laughs> she's incredible. But my mom always tells me there's only five colors and those five colors can become this amazing painting or it could look like my artwork, which is terrible. And my daughter's, <laughs> my daughter, just the stick figure with the single strand for the hair or whatever. Right. So your the artistry comes into getting specific and down to first is which phase are you in? I'm training soccer. Okay. Am I off season or am I in season, my preseason, my postseason? Right. And then second, you're looking at the demands of the game. I do an analysis of every team I work with and I understand what they're, how they play the game. So what kind of volumes do I see? Or do I see a lot of accelerations or not a lot? Do I see a lot of high speed or not a lot of high speed um, distances that are covered in those zones and then work backwards to say, okay, this is how we need to fill the buckets of like how much speed work you're actually doing and volumes and all that stuff. And this is what I want to this is what I'm proposing is that we start the off season with a percentage of that total volume and we progress towards that percentage. And at one point during the off season, we're going to go over that percentage and then we're going to come back down and then we're going to maintain it. And it's that simple. It's that simple. Yeah. And how low do you start? I mean, does that just depend on the athlete and their level of fitness? Like how low are you starting on this percentage? It probably depends on the athlete and how long you have them too, right? It depends because it just a easy, like, I might start at 50% of the sprint distance that they cover on averaging during their games. I work with a couple college teams and really take the sprint distance variable across season average of games that they play, like pretty much a whole game, start at 50% of that, progress at 10% per week. But that's like the, I mean, that's so general. It doesn't ever end up that sexy, but that's like general is I want to progress my sprint volumes. Also depends what you did in the phase before and et cetera. But um, sure. I want to start at a percentage of that max. But I think about the goal is the game. And the goal is to be really good at the game. And unless you're doing track and field, and we could talk about that separate. But I want to understand what are your demands? And then how far away are you from that game? And then I can kind of fill in a calendar of, okay, well, we know we need to hit the basics, which is we need to touch near max velocity. We need to fill a certain bucket of sprint distance. We know we need to touch on this acceleration ability. And then if I'm far away from competition, I'm probably going to profile you. So I understand 
okay, this is exactly how you accelerate, how you reach top speed and how you, how fast you are. And I can kind of be specific on some of the things you're weak at, but then it quickly goes into, here's the demands of the game. And there's a point where you have to flip from, I'm trying to increase the, the speed. I'm trying to increase how fast you are into, I'm trying to prepare you for the game. I'm trying to prepare yeah. you for what you're going to experience in this match. Yeah. Okay. We didn't reach our goal of 22 miles per hour. Is that going to make you score more goals? It probably could, but it's an indirect transfer. Will you being able to cover this amount of distance at high speed help transfer to a game? Absolutely. Because yeah. if you can't cover that and you're not prepared for that, then you're going to experience something that's not optimal. It's either poor performance. I hate to say it's going to cause injury because that's not always true, but something's right. going to happen, right? You're not going to feel great sure. going from 15% volume to a hundred percent or 15% intensity to a hundred percent intensity. Like you don't, your body doesn't love that. So, yeah. 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 I always talk about trying to smooth those transitions as much as possible, right? Yeah. If you got to cram it all into four weeks, probably not going to be great. If you can stretch that over three or four months, those transitions are going to be a lot smoother. One yeah. other thing too, that I'm impressed by with you is you talk about different sports I think one of the hardest parts, the constituent parts of how to accelerate, right? Mm -hmm. You can teach anybody how to accelerate, but part of it too, when you go across sports is learning how to make it relatable or yeah. use the language in that sport, right? So going from football to soccer to tennis, you would think, oh, it's acceleration across all of them. Yeah, but how you create context and help them understand it is different when you move across those sports. So how have you, because you probably didn't play all of those growing up, right? How did you go in and kind of learn some of that to make yourself relatable. Yeah. And honestly, it's like asking more questions. Like I'm, I love podcasts, but it's hard for me because I do all the talking, but I, I really like listening when it comes to this type of stuff. So I, I actually ask a lot of questions of the athletes, but the thing is, is like, I don't want my athletes to be good at drills. I don't want them to be good at getting to certain speeds. I want them to be good at the game. So I yeah. ask them in the context of the game. So when they're like, I need to get faster. And I'm like, okay, what's your goal? I want to hit 21 miles per hour. I'm like, that's, you just heard that on the <laughs> internet. Like now, right. give me an example of what you're talking about. And they're like, well, okay, so I'm a receiver. I, I get past my defender and I beat my defender every time, but then I get caught from the, from behind. Okay, cool. That's good context. So let's get good at, let's get better at that. Now I can provide the context of like the physical needs that you need, like, we got to be able to accelerate past like the initial whatever. Like you got to be able to accelerate late into your run. You got to be able to hit a higher velocity. You got to be able to, and I could fill those buckets. But what happens is that as this is becoming more popular, there's athletes out there that are like, if I just hit 22, my whole game will change. I'll make it to the NFL. I'll do this. I'll do, I hit 22. Now NFL teams are going to start calling me, right? Not necessarily. There's not a direct transfer. So I try to have those conversations. I actually, mentor this 12 year old soccer player named Anjali and she's mind-blowing like mind-blowing she's probably <laughs> the smartest athlete I've ever worked with but I asked her I'm like so you want to get faster she's like, yes coach and I'm like okay what does that mean she's like, after my first touch on the ball I need to be able to get past the defender and get come down the wing and then make a cross and I struggle with that period. Okay, let's get better at that. And that's it. Try to keep it in the context of what they want to get better at and then we provide the yeah. context 
of the physical traits it takes to get there. And then even when teaching, my goal every session, it never happens. I've never done this, but my goal is always to come in there and just say nothing. I'm just going to say nothing. But <laughs> sure. I try to approach it with that mindset of I'm only going to talk when it's necessary. So if you come to my session, anybody listening, you'll probably be a little bit underwhelmed because you're expecting for me to talk how I am on Instagram. But what they do on a marketing team on Instagram does is just take the six times that I might have talked and they put them all together and it just looks like I'm talking the whole time. But <laughs> right. I try to, yeah, it's great. But I try to attack <laughs> it from the standpoint of I want to just go in there and not be, not intervene unless I have to, and then make small interventions, but make them physical based as much as possible, providing context. And then we could just start to attack the technical pieces from there. I yeah. That. I don't know if that answers the question, but yeah, no, that was, that was great. That was great. So I want to take one more step in this direction because you mentioned track as well. Do you teach acceleration differently between your field court athletes and your actual track sprinters? And if so, how do you do that? Yeah, I'm actually, I don't have a lot of track people anymore. Like I, I definitely help out here and there. Yep. When I was coming up, so I was at the Olympic Training Center and I had a, a group of girls at the time that were like unreal. Like I had them since 12 years old. They're winning state championships. One of them's at Oregon. She's been in, I think she got fourth in nationals this year, but monster, right? And at the time I was coaching track because I was at the Olympic Training Center, I could use the track and I was getting advice from the USA track and field staff, but I'm not by any means a track coach and I'm probably poor at it. It's a sport that I, it's a whole sport. It's not just like teaching right. acceleration. It's it's an actual sport and it needs to be respected that way. It's, you can't just yeah. hop in because a couple of speed things. But yeah, if I were to coach more track, I would teach it a little bit different because a start is the, probably a, a larger percentage of, it, it is a larger percentage of their success is being able to start from blocks. It's a whole different skill. And right. there's other context in there because you're, you have to react to a gun and then you have to race other people and there's no other stimulus. There's no ball in there. There's no, you're not doing it. 30, 50, 60 times, and you're doing it once or twice. So there's a completely different context to the demands of the sport, which is significantly different. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you can't just learn about speed and then try to apply it to track because it's a whole other beast. It's a, like when I talk to Stu, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about sometimes. <laughs> I don't have a lot of knowledge in, in tracking. I wasn't very good at track either. So um, yeah, it's a completely different thing. But like in context, there are physical buckets you still would fill. Like I think doing resisted running is helpful. I think the track community was resistant to that for a period of time until they saw other people do it and they started to win and it's yeah. great. And then you have assisted and overspeed. And that's another hot topic that people are like, ah, overspeed is bad. Look at who's winning medals and they're doing it. But Within the context, like they're technically a little bit better than your average like soccer girl that's running. So there is right. a time and a place for those types of things. And it is a more advanced exercise. Like you don't just have your 12 year old doing snatches overhead day one. There's a progression to that. <laughs> sure. And then just understanding from the demand that you're running past six seconds. So it's no longer just a galactic and it's no longer just sprint power stuff. There's a speed endurance component to it. A speed maintenance component to it. There's a highly technical point to it. I think a fast university and I talked about this at one point because I said something like the technical isn't as important, but I was speaking more to field sports and 
that the opposite is true in track. Like he was right in track and field. You have to, you're not winning a medal without being in the top percentage. Technically, like it, you're yeah. not going to be able to produce the right forces in the ground. You're not going to be able to maintain your speed uh, past a certain point. So it, it's a completely different thing that I am terrified to go into because I don't <laughs> think I'll be very good. So I would have to learn a lot more and do a lot more to, to be able to coach track even at a high yeah. school level. It's a, so it's a different animal, right? It's a different animal. My yeah. daughter ran track for a year and I learned really quickly. Yeah. This is another level compared to just teaching field court sport athletes how to get faster. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I got one more acceleration question and I'm just thinking young athlete listens to this show, new coach listen to this show. What are some of the biggest mistakes that athletes make in their acceleration and doesn't have to be a drill, but either a drill or something that's going to help them clean that up. What are the biggest mistakes that you see young athletes making? Yeah. Biggest mistake is just not doing it. Like you, you can't, you, you can't get better at it if you don't do it. So it's one of those buckets. Like everybody understands that you got to hit a certain percent of your max speed weekly. Right. But no one's really talking about maximum accelerating and that's kind of left yeah. at what it is and jb moran talks about it a ton if you don't maximally accelerate throughout a season that ability declines and that affects your health and it affects your performance so i think the biggest thing is just not doing it like you can't go broke making a profit so you touch on it you're going to make a profit if you it's not hard to do go out and run hard and accelerate or run resisted or run up a hill throw something run after it's not complex at all and it's actually really interesting to me when i first started talking about this stuff on the internet i was like why is this popular everyone's doing it it's not rocket science it's not too different than what anyone else is saying and but the frequency matters and you got to motivate people to want to go out and do those things on a consistent basis because most people look at things as okay speed is an off-season thing that we build and then we come back to it in the next off season. Well, it's a 12 month calendar and it's weekly and it's actually, you need to touch on it multiple times a week. And especially if you're not practicing a ton, like you need to go out and create an artificial session where you go out and do speed training and you work on those qualities. I don't think like from a technical perspective, I mean, you see athletes like they may not have the best technique, but they can they can be powerful. So I think it's a quality that if you just continue to do, you'll get better at. And I'm less on the side of like people are putting their foot in the wrong place type thing. Like they'll figure it out if they do it more. It's just right. you go out and shoot. You go out and shoot free throws. Day one, you might miss zero. You might miss eight out of ten. And you do it every day. You're gonna make nine, ten eventually. And same right. thing for running. It's just people aren't practicing enough. And that's it to get better at it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Okay. So shifting topics slightly, and I realize this is a big question. So I'm going to apologize in advance. It's really two. <laughs> yeah. Number one, I would love for you to talk a little bit about force velocity profiling on somebody's sprint performance and how you do that. And then number two, for somebody that's not familiar with this, how do you take that information and use it to write a better training program? Wow. Let me take a sip of my, coffee here <laughs> <laughs> that's right you gotta get ready for this one man. all right first the research from jb moran pierre samazino all those guys is unreal it's unbelievable 
that I still don't know how humans are so smart because I'm I struggle and I'm like <laughs> and I struggle. It takes me years to understand things. But anyway, force velocity profiling is an extremely a useful tool and it's also a very flawed tool and it's a very misunderstand misunderstood tool. And the reason why is that the force velocity profile is basically analyzing how an athlete produces force at the beginning, horizontal force at the beginning of a sprint. Then it's analyzing that decline in horizontal force as velocity increases. So within this, within the equation, the most important piece is that you're able to detect the initial movement. So if I'm using timing gates and I have a hand start and I wait for my eye to observe movement and I press the button, that delay right there, 0.12 on average, is going to throw off your force velocity profile and it's going to make it very inconsistent. So if I'm testing and I do 10 trials, there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of variability within those trials because of my human error. And because I'm going to do, and Mladen wrote a really good article on it. And so that's the first thing is that you have to understand that the test itself is flawed and all models are flawed, but they're all useful. If you're not testing correctly, like Vault has some new timing gates that are really good where you can do an in-beam start and catches the first movement. If you're using 1080, that's really good. And I'm not trying to sell products to you. I'm just telling sure. those are the products you can do this on. And if you don't have those products, it's not necessarily going to be the best tool for you. And if you can do it in your environment, then great. I mean, we've done everything from embed it into GPS by using an API and pulling the raw and running force velocity profiling from GPS. We've done that. Like it's great. But if you don't, if you, if I'm a coach and I'm like, I don't want to spend $20,000 or 10,000 or whatever. <laughs> and I just want to don't, it's hard to do this. And it's very hard to do. Now there's easier ways that are coming out. There's video and, other pieces. I think there's an app called the My Sprint app. ViewMotion is coming out with some stuff, but that's like my disclaimer because coaches are doing it and they're telling me their 10 yard dash was like a 137, which is statistically impossible. And it's well, right. It's because you had a flying start. You had some lead in to that start. Now, the second part of this answer is that let's say you are doing 100% correct and you have a force velocity, a capture device like a 1080 or using the video the right way or whatever. Okay. Now, if you do it, if you do it correctly, it becomes a very important tool. And it's something that we use pretty frequently right now to assess athletes from a physical standpoint. And really all I'm trying to understand with a force velocity profile is I'm on, I'm trying to understand how an athlete accelerates from zero to velocity. So it's giving me like that whole picture of their acceleration curve. So if they're low force, or the low ratio of force, like ratio of horizontal force to resultant or vertical and horizontal together, I know that they're poor at the beginning of the start. Now, every question I get, so I'm going to pause there and just go through this. I always get questions <laughs> on how do I know it's poor, right? Well, there's research out there, but then you have to look into how that research collected data. Did they collect it with a GPS or a timing gate, or did they make a mistake? So the best thing to do is just to compare an athlete within the group that they're in. So if I'm comparing my wide receivers, I'm comparing all my wide receivers. And you can go into Z-scoring and averages and all that stuff. I won't spend time on it, but I will compare it within your population. And if you don't have a population, just compare the athletes to themselves over time, whatever. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's called the DRF, the decrease in ratio of force. 
So that number is going to tell me how fast I drop off. So if I have a big drop off, like a big negative percentage, that means that I started pretty well and I just dropped off really fast and I didn't have that weight yeah. acceleration very well. So it's not a great tool to look at in isolation. You have to look at it in context. Of, was I good in the beginning and then I dropped off or was I bad in the beginning and then I was able to keep bad the whole time? It's a good weight acceleration tool. And then velocity is just velocity. You could sum it up with the power. So force times velocity equals power. So if I wanted a single score, I could use that. So, I mean, again, there's opposing beliefs on this and some of it is just research jargon and language. So like I've seen people switch out the force name to acceleration. It's the same thing. Force and acceleration are the same. But if you take out the body weight part of it. Yep. That was the first part of the question. I'm looking at the show notes to see if I got the second. No, no. Part. So, so <laughs> um, how do you take that? Yeah. yeah. So how do you take that and apply it, right? Yeah. If you've okay. got somebody that's like a low force first couple steps, how does that help you write a better program with that? Yeah. So two two things. So the first thing I do is force velocity. And another disclaimer. I'm sorry for if you're listening out there, why does he have somebody just saying, if you don't run over 30 meters or 30 yards, it's probably not going to be a very good test because you're not reaching near maximal velocity. So 30 meters is like the minimum. So I'll do a, I'll do a force velocity test. Now I'll do a load velocity. So load velocity is I pick four loads, including just a free load. So 0%, 25, 50, and 75% body weight. And I measure the velocity at each of those loads. And then I draw a trend line. And basically what I'm looking for is what we call velocity decrements. And a velocity decrement mm -hmm. is a percent reduction in maximal velocity. So if I have a 50% velocity decrement, that is a 50% reduction in speed. If I have a 25% reduction in speed, that means I'm running 75% of my speed, right? So we look yep. for these velocity decrements. And what I'll do is I take the force velocity profile and I'm either good or bad, early, mid, or late. And or early weight and velocity, however you want to spin it. Yeah. So if I'm bad in the early part, then I want to provide a heavier load, like a 50% velocity decrement. If I'm bad in the middle, then I want to provide a medium load, like 25 to 10%. And if I'm bad at the end, but I'm good at the other parts, that means I want to provide a light or assisted stimulus. And you look at it in order of priority is like you look at it from left to right. I want to be good at horizontal force. And if I'm not and I hit a high velocity, start at the force part. And if I'm not good at anything, start at the force part, right? So always starting <laughs> there and checking your boxes as you go. But that's typically how we use it. And again, like when I first read the research, I probably jumped the gun a little bit to go just say everybody should do it because I wasn't taking into account that everybody wasn't using 1080 or the right collection methods and gotten some Twitter wars about it. But there, there's, <laughs> people are right on both sides because if you're not collecting correct data, then that is an issue. And that is a problem. And you have to address that. Yeah. Very cool. That was, I had to cool. sip my coffee for that one. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. All right. Next, give me some insights into the universal speed rating. Talk yeah, to me about that, man. For sure. Thank you for asking. I, it's funny, man. Like I get laughed at in my business because I don't talk about, I try not to like sell things and talk about my business on podcasts. <laughs> And that's the whole point of a podcast. I'm like, yeah, but as a right. listener of podcast, I listen to podcasts all day. I'm like, I don't really want to know about 
everyone's business. I just want to know what you're talking about, but it's funny. But anyway, <laughs> so I started out this, I'm going to tell like a funny story here because this is, yeah, this okay. is ridiculous. Let's but go. when I started Spellman Performance, I named it Spellman Performance because I was getting a lease done and I was getting this new space and I was buying this gym. I was basically started my gym business, right? And the guy yep. who's the landlord is like, yo, what's your business name? I was like, oh, shoot, I don't have a business name. But I didn't say that out loud. I was like, Spell Spellman Performance. And I just said it. And I, he was like, oh, okay. And he wrote it down. And I was like, man, why did I say my last name? So anyway, that's how I started. So that's why I became <laughs> Spellman Performance because I had to give him a name. So I created right. so he did all that. And I mean, honestly, like, I really just thought I was going to be like a private training business the rest of my life. Like, I love private training. It was easy. You can make... I'm in California. I don't even need a facility most of the time because it's 75 right. degrees. I don't check the weather ever. So I just go outside and train or whatever. And I was like, that's <laughs> going to be my life. So I could just be selling performance. I'm not going to have employees. So then I started to get like trainers under me and they were like, oh, we should change the name, we should change the name. And I was like, yeah, I'm down. What do you guys want to change it to? But we never got around to changing it because I ended up getting rid of the gym because I hated it after a couple of years. I was like, <laughs> all right, this is... I don't see my friends. I'm in here 18 hours a day. I'm spending yeah. 80% of my time mopping floors and cleaning bathrooms. I'm out, right? And I left yeah. and I went to Kobe Bryant. His birthday was yesterday, RIP. And uh, yeah. you know, I was up there at Mamba and I was doing that and that was great. And it came to a point where I was like, I kind of want to start my own thing and then partner with you guys. And they were like, cool. And we still have that partnership with Sports Academy. But And when I did that and I was like, I'm going to do my own thing. I got an investor for the first time and he was like, all right, so let's do this. What do you want to do? I was like, well, I don't want to do a gym <laughs> and I don't want to mop fours and I don't want to, I just had all these don'ts. Okay. Well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to build a software platform. He's like, okay. And then he, he went and he talked to all his friends and he's like, all right, you have one big problem here. I said, what's that? He's like, it's your last name. The business is your last name. What? Yeah. That's, he's like, think about it. He's like, think about it this way. If I don't like you and I'm a coach, and you have a good product, I'm not going to buy your product because it's your name and it's your last name. And I'm like, okay, but I'm following you somewhat. And then he's also, <laughs> do you want to be the person that picks up the phone every single time when someone has a question? I'm like, no, absolutely not. Right. So, so we started this path to create universal speed rating, which originally at the time was like, I wanted to create this database of every athlete in the world of how fast they are. So I could provide context to gender specific, like how fast am I if I'm a girl, if I'm a boy, if I'm 14, if I play soccer, like start collecting data. And we actually got a lot of headway, like 30,000 data points in there or something oh, like that. And it was really cool, really cool. And originally when we launched it, like I didn't tell anybody that it was mine. And now I guess now I'm starting to be more open about it. But there's a point in every startup business where you raise money, you build a product. And then there's a lag period between you're building the product that you really want to build and you have to bring in revenue in the door. And the toughest part as a coach is like trying to provide value in that time period. So what we did was yeah. as we're building the platform into what we want it to be, which eventually will be like everything from computer vision to data to AMS style stuff, like it's going to be awesome. So what we did is in between is we created something called Speed Labs. Because we're like, look, like it's hard for us to provide a, a huge value to coaches in the community without having a, this big raise and the software build out and this time, right? 
So for Speed Lab, right. which is under Universal Speed Rating, was a place where gyms and facilities around the country can basically use the software that we're building into Universal Speed Rating. So like you could use the force velocity and the load velocity. You could get more insights on how athletes reach peak speed and how they accelerate in the beginning of the sprint and also programming. And here's what you do and here's what you say and here's the cues and here's a drill list and we can help you with your business and your marketing. It was all these things that we wow. used to to build our system in the beginning. And my initial goal was like, this changed my life. I was able to have, I'm getting married, I'm having kids, like all these things. Like I want this for coaches because our community is hurting right now. I mean, people are listening to podcasts right now with an intention of learning more to make more money to move up. Right. And yeah, I was always thinking about it. I'm like, man, that was like, it was really hard for me. I got super lucky finding the right guy at the right time. I trained his son. He invested, he helped me. He built my thing. And I'm like, how do I help other people? Because coaches are getting divorced left and right. They're not in their kids' lives. Like they're coaching. Think about this. They're coaching kids every single day and they're not spending time with their kids. And yeah. I'm like, dude, this is not, this is wrong, man. Like, how do we help people systemize their business? Cause this whole like speed business, training business is brand new. It's, I mean, it's as old as me. I'm 34 yeah. and <laughs> you, we don't, they don't, we don't know. We don't know the impact of the lifestyles that we're living until later, until we all, they, they play the infomercial. If you coach between 2012 and 2024, <laughs> you're you, you can get a million dollars like, because it's going to be like that because it, there's so much negative stuff that's happening in our industry. It's toxic. It's you're working all day in the sun. You're working all day in a gym. You're like, there's so many health effects, adverse effects that are impacting coaches right now. We may not see for 10 years. And I became really passionate about, and I'm getting off track, but I'm getting really passionate about helping those coaches systemize the things that they shouldn't spend time on. You shouldn't spend time in spreadsheets six hours a day trying to figure out how fast someone's going to be in two years. I, I want to do right. that. And I'm building a business around that. So I come from the standpoint of I want business. If I'm going to do a business, I want it to help people. And I want it to spread light. And I want it to make people excited. I don't want to sell a product that's just, hey, just turning over and it just makes money, whatever. That's what Speed Lab was. And that was a long-winded way of saying that we're building yeah. the goal platform on universal speed rating. But initially, we're trying to provide value and we're coming at it from the perspective of, coach, tell me what you want. Okay, I can figure out a way to build that short term and I'll have a long-term way of building it. So yeah, it's interesting, man. But yeah, that it's not... It's always uncomfortable for me to talk about the business side, but it's, yeah. I know it's important. So I appreciate that. It is. And especially having such a powerful message, right? Like you said, it's not about you going out there and like printing money. Yeah. The goal is to make money, but you're helping a lot of people along the way. Yeah. Respect. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So I, I think this is going to kind of go hand in hand. But one thing that I'm really intrigued by is somebody such as yourself, you could probably fill your day with professional athletes, Olympians, that sort of thing. But I see all over your social and all over your website, like you're still out there coaching young athletes. What keeps bringing you back to kids? Yeah, it's, it's, I get that question a lot. Like, why don't you just post the pro guys you're working with? At the con I'm like, man, it's about development. It, it really is because like sports saved my life in a lot of ways. It was a way for me to channel like some of the anger I was experiencing when I was younger and some of the things I was going through, it gave me a family, gave me a culture, took me around the world, got me in. I'm saying it changed my life. So yeah. I'm about 
my understanding what the impact of my experience was in my life. And I try to duplicate that every day for someone else in some form or fashion. And I'm really passionate about the younger generation. If you look at, and I'm, I'm a complete, I could go left on this podcast and go down another three hour rabbit <laughs> hole in this, but the environment, the environment for kids right now is really, is really tough. Like with social media, and it's another yeah. one of those things where we won't see the impact of some of the things that are happening now for 10 years. And then that little infomercial comes across your screen at night and it's like, Hey, if you were on Instagram between this time and this time, like you're, <laughs> you can get some money, but there, there's a lot of different things that they're exposed to and facing in it without going in, into detail. Like it, the world is becoming, it's hard. It's just hard to raise, raise kids that we talked about before this podcast, yeah. but yeah. it's becoming a really difficult place to grow up and I'm learning and I'm a dad and I'm about to have another kid. So I'm learning this world, but, the one thing that is always going to be stable and kind of the same is sports and it's relationships and it's teaching, it's coaching. It's like these things will always be the same and we're all, it's always going to be the same process to get better. And obviously technology will change some things. It might be easier in 10 years than it is now, but it's going to be comprised of the same kind of things, consistent training, consistent communication, consistent leadership. Like those are things that make you success, successful and I care way more about that than the pro guys that I work with. And to be honest, like you work with pro guys for two years and in that two years, they're going to work with 30 different people. And so <laughs> you're just one of the guys. Like it, there's only yeah. a few guys where I could say I'm only, I'm the only person. And I don't yeah. even encourage that to be honest. And so what, here's how I live my life. And this is probably something I haven't said on a podcast before, but the reason why I do the elite side and I do the pro side and work with teams is so that I learn and I learn at a very fast rate because within those environments was a lot of really smart people. So yeah. if a guy, I work with a guy and he's, oh yeah, my strength coach told me to do this. I'm like, oh, what's his number? And then I call him, hey coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's really nice to meet you. My name's Les. Like I'm just trying to help here. And all of a sudden that turns into a 10 year relationship where we're talking every day. And that's what I look for because I'm learning from that and I'm taking that information and I'm coming back down to the youth and I'm like, hey, this works at the pro level and we're going to do an aspect of that. Like in our academy, for example, we do a CMJ on Monday and Monday and Tuesday, if you're on the Monday track or Tuesday track, and we look at breaking variables, propulsive variables, landing variables and asymmetries. And then that determines what our week is. And then we look at your acceleration. So we, we do a 10 pretty much every week. And then on Thursday, we look at your Nord board and we look at your asymmetries there and the force output and we do a fly sprint and we track that every week for every kid. And they're yeah. 12 years old to yeah. like we got that's amazing in our middle school. We got 200 kids and they're doing that every single now. Imagine the impact. And, I, and this is probably something I could talk about more, but we had 20 kids over 20 miles per hour in our middle school program, middle school program. Wow. And we had kids in wow. 22, 23. We had a kid win the state championship the year after leaving our middle school and going in ninth grade in high jump. Like, how are these things? But the truth, it's it's very easy stuff. Like, I just gave you our whole program in one sentence. But it's like, that stuff works at the pro level. It's going to work at that. Doing a CMJ and, and doing a 10, 0 to 10, and doing a Norboard and a fly, a fly 10 from a 20-yard build, everybody can do that. It's super easy yeah. and just track it all year. And you see the 
this. Well, what is this? That's fatigue and that's response. And yeah, so it's, I'm super passionate and I love watching kids light up when they win a championship or they get that college offer or they, I mean, recently I had a kid who won a Super Bowl that was in my middle school program. And I'm like, that's crazy. You know what I mean? And I know I've, I've been, I've worked with 57 Olympic athletes out of those 57, there's two, three that were in my high school program and several that are in my development program. And it's like, you watch these people grow up and yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to the games, their family, they're coming. I'll be in their wedding. They're coming to my wedding. They know my kids. My kids call them auntie, uncle. Like I love it. Yeah. So that's, that, that's my world. Yeah. No, I respect that dude. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Big question time, my guy. Yeah, if you go. could alter the space-time continuum uh-huh. and give young Les Spellman one piece of advice, what would it be? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> probably don't rush and be patient. And yeah, I think I was rushing, but I had a lot to prove. I had a really hard, like 17 to 19 was really hard for me. Like yep. nearly losing my life to going through some other stuff and being halfway homeless. And my goal, I was embarrassed and I wanted to prove everyone wrong and I was rushing. And in that rushing, I missed a lot of relationships that I should have still had that I don't have anymore. And that's my biggest regret. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I think that's super common though. Honestly, in our world, like guys that are hungry, people that want to like really make a mark, it's easy to be impatient, right? You want it all right now. And even if you're around the right people and they tell you, no, it's going to take time. There's still that mindset of, no, they don't know. I can do this faster. I'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. You can't rush the experience. That yeah. just takes time. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, dude. Last but not least, lightning round. Now, normally I do four questions, but man, I put your, your mug up on IG the other day and like legitimately I got probably 15 I could ask, but I whittled mm-hmm. it down to seven. Okay. So let's rock. Number one. Yep. How did, yeah. How did speed city come about? One of the guys like screamed it during training session. He was like speed city. I was like, yep. Yeah. That was it. (laughs) That was it. Yeah. Hey man, when it hit hits. I was like, that's it. Yeah. I love it. And speed that sticks out. That sticks out. Number two, I saw you were just in Miami. How was, how was that trip? How was inner Miami? Oh, it was crazy. It was so cool. Yeah. I mean, I like super gracious to Garrison and those guys and John letting me come in and see the facility. And man, it was so cool. To, man, like Messi's been in this locker room. This is what I mean. It was yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 It was, and you see why they're good. It's the environment, it's the coaching staff, it's support staff. Everyone's happy. You know what I mean? Everyone's genuinely yes. like smiling. Nice to meet you. It doesn't matter what level they think you are it's great to meet the janitor their head coach is stopping to talk to the guy that's cleaning up the gps vest on the ground hey how you doing man good to yeah. see you yeah. but i'm saying you have that environment but yeah it was cool to watch a game my my daughter's a huge soccer fan so it was really cool to see her be excited about that stuff and yeah it was yeah it's dope there's a moment yeah. in time i'll never forget for sure yeah garrison's no. amazing dude We've known each other for quite a while. We were supposed to connect when he was in Philly for cheesesteaks. So now yeah. I'm gonna have to do Miami and get a Cuban or something. Gotta love good. the Cuban sandwich down there. He's yeah. amazing. It's crazy. He's amazing. 
it's interesting in this industry you'll find it's like how are some people such good people i'm fascinated yeah. by that so yeah it was awesome to meet yeah. him yeah yeah okay so we both have young kids mine are a little bit older than yours my daughter huge u.s women's national team soccer fan so she wants to know one word you would use to describe Alyssa thompson oh man <laughs> one word she's dylan's worked mostly with her my partner yeah. And have you ever seen, what's that show on Apple TV about Ted Lasso? You ever no, seen Ted Lasso? I've not seen it. No, no, uh, I know. It's on my list. You're not going to, you're not going to get this one. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> it's, so he has an assistant coach and he's like very direct, but brilliant. But he's like, yeah, kind of, that's Dylan. So like Dylan works with her yep. a lot and I always ask, what's it like working with the list? And he just gives me like one word answer. It's like intense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And he's like, yeah, she's, in, she's intense. And I'm like, okay, can you elaborate? He's like, very intense. And I'm like, okay. So <laughs> yeah, so she's intense, but she is super confident and yeah, she's going to be one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. Was she 18? Just already got some world cup experience this year. So yeah, it's pretty dope, man. That's awesome. Yeah. It's that's extremely awesome. dope. Okay. Number four. The most impressive 10-yard dash you've ever seen belong to? I mean, John Ross, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Easy. That's a hard one to beat. Yeah. That's a hard one to beat. He might be the best accelerator I've ever seen. Like, he can, he is, have you ever been in a Tesla and pressed the gas? And mm -hmm. I, oh man, okay, so you got two things to do. I'm not ruining all your analogies, dude. I'm sorry. Ted Lasso <laughs> I'm so and, basic. and Tesla. Ted, Ted, Lasso. Ted Lasso and getting a Tesla. Yeah. Okay. okay. Work on it. So in the Tesla, you can accelerate <laughs> it from any speed. So if I'm going 80, I can still press the gas like I'm going from zero. So you have this ability to really? re-accelerate at any speed. It's amazing. Okay. It's a fast car. That's John Ross. He can accelerate from any speed, which obviously wow. comes with a lot of risks. But yeah. He, yeah. He can accelerate yeah. from any speed. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, I always think of those as superpowers, right? It's like you yeah. got to be able to control your superpowers. His speed yeah. is his superpower, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think you're going to know who this one came from. How are you using the uh, Hawken Dynamic Force Plates to peak guys? From the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Drake, what up, Drake? Yeah, so, yeah, it, we've... We didn't know, like when we first got force plates, like we didn't really know. And I was like calling Drake every day. Yo, man, what do I do here? What do I do there? <laughs> so obviously at first we we're just like jump height. And, and then you start to realize, <laughs> okay, it's not a great indicator. You could have the same jump height and completely different contraction time and completely different yeah. eccentric phase. And so what we started to do was we started to look at propulsive net impulse or like basically jump momentum or jump height, like how that's tracking. So we, we put that in a column and then overlaid it with modified RSI so we can understand like how fast they're jumping. So we understand the contraction time. And then as we were going and training, like we were looking at like certain windows, we knew we, we had to fatigue them and we were just monitoring how much fatigue. And yeah. we would monitor that by looking at the contraction time or the centric duration or understanding like, are they slowing down significantly because they're fatigued? And then right. we would use that to monitor the roads throughout the week. And then, so we kept that pretty well up until the combine time. And then what we did as we got close to combine is we knew that we we're pulling back on the sprint stuff. So we knew that we're not going to hit like super high speeds 
as, as frequently as we were. And then we were in Indy, so like you can't hit top speeds because you're in a limited hotel space. So we were right. using the modified RSI metric to understand like their readiness and, and understanding like when that was high, their velocities were typically pretty high. And so we felt pretty confident going in as they started to peak. We started to see those variables increase significantly, like 10% for some guys, 12%, 13%. So we felt pretty good. But yeah, like Drake helped me understand the phases of the jump and really dial in like the braking side of things to understand like how from a neuromuscular standpoint, like where they're at. And then also understanding like what are some things that might be indicators of risk. So like eccentric mean power, we found that when people were low in that quality and they started to see asymmetries pop up throughout when we started to load them heavier. Um, and I learned that from, I wasn't, I don't know if that one was from Drake. It's in my notes here somewhere, but I stole that. It might've been, it might've been Mark Lewis or someone else, but, and then we looked at like the asymmetry side of things across three phases. So the braking and propulsive and landing. And if they showed less than negative one to standard deviation in those, we started to look at it. And if they showed it across all three, then we really looked at it. And it was really cool to, for me as a coach, it was really good to have a system that I was using that wasn't just like my intuition. You kind of yes. know, you yep. kind of know, but like you, you want to attach something objective. Like sometimes it's okay. I know you're fatigued, but how fatigued are you? And then what is the next right. step from there? Then how do I communicate this to the athlete, to the staff? So we we're able to pull guys out of training to do plan B or plan C even. Hey, like you're yep. all the way down to plan C. So that means pull or plan B is we're going to reduce the amount of high speed distance. So it was Drake is awesome. So <laughs> he taught he's me a man, lot. Dude. Yeah, he's he a man. He's got to get so annoyed with me because I just constantly I'm bombarding <laughs> yeah. him with texts like, hey, dude, I was thinking about this. And but he's always gracious, always re- gives me like these really thoughtful responses. So. Yeah, yeah, he really I, thinks I feel about, like a total noob. He really, I need to get I feel better like such at a that. Noob. <laughs> yeah, like he, I don't know how he knows so much, number one. Like that's, he's probably an alien. But how do you respond yeah. so in, in, intentional every single time? I, I type two words. I think when he has kids, though, yeah. it'll change. So, Drake, if you're listening, we'll, that's we'll find out. Yep. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Okay, two more. Number one, this was somebody from my G. They said, if somebody wants to intern at your spot how do they do that oh yeah okay so i get that a lot it depends so california is very weird about interns now so i don't do Mm -hmm. unpaid internships anymore so i only do paid internships and i don't do minimum wage so it ends up being like like a more it's the internships we used to do we bring in like 12 people per year in combine sure and california you can't really do the unpaid thing so you either have to get college credit or get paid and then if I look at it from the standpoint is if we're going to pay people, then it should be some, should be people we're looking to hire in positions and quickly go from, because I want people to get experience, but I also want to give them a job offer at the end of it. And so we take less interns as a result of that, just so that we can, it's hard. I mean, this climate, like internships, like if you're not getting paid, it it is a rough world. So we try to make sure there's a gas stipend, you're getting paid, like you're not just living on the street. And all that. If you ask, if don't let Dylan come on this podcast because he'll just be like, "Man, let's maybe sleep. Let's maybe sleep in my car." He didn't feed me. Like, it'll, it'll be, like it was. It used to be rough out here, man. But yeah. So, 
the best way to do it is just email me and then go to Zoom. And then I usually start off with a project and uh, like read this that. or summarize that. And then I can understand like how you work. And it's got to be mutually beneficial. So I, I look at it from the standpoint of I'm trying to provide you more value than you can provide me. And that has to look like there's something you need to learn from me. And if I have consistently had these meetings and had projects and then sent interns to other places, and, you know, you'd be much better yeah. here because you're trying to learn this and you're not going to get enough right. reps at that with us. So just email me. I'm pretty easy to talk to when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Okay. Last one. What's next for Les Spellman? What are you working on? What are you excited about? Anything? What's the, I'm having a baby. So another, <laughs> that's another a big one. one. That's, another, a, that's a big so, one. Yeah. Yeah. I, honestly, man, like I, I get this question a lot too. And I would say I have completely shifted and in in not going too deep into other stuff, but I don't drink alcohol anymore. Not like I drank a lot either. And not like it's yeah. a bad thing if you do drink alcohol, but I've found multiple lifestyle things that I was doing that negatively impacted my mind, my sleep, all these things. So what I did over the past year was really dive in, like use whoop and all those things like to monitor, fill out worksheets. I was listening to, what's his name? Oh man, what is his name? I forget, but basically he tracked everything in his life and I started doing that and I started to see trends and I started removing things like eating past a certain time or red meat does this or this food does that and yeah. alcohol does. So I spent like a year really diving into myself and it really helped me. Like My relationships improved with my family, with my friends, with my girl, with my daughter. And I became really passionate about building my life outside of work. And so, yeah, I always start with the kid thing because that really is what's next for me is like trying to be a, the best dad is Number one. Number two, I've gotten really interested in correlating metrics from force plates to kinematic variables and sprinting and looking at changes over time. And I, I've collected a lot of data over the past couple of years working with teams where we have like kinematic data, we have force plate data, we have GPS data, we have 1080. And it's all in, I created an athlete management system that has all that stuff inside of it. And no. I, I should say I didn't create it. Dean Riddle <laughs> helped me and then Bruce helped me and then Matt Groves helped. There's, I misspoke, but we created this athlete management system that has all this data. When I got a break, I started diving in and seeing like when this variable changes. I mean, simple one, contraction yep. time is decreased, acceleration ability is decreased. Well, so what can that do is that the power of that is that if I monitor my jump variables, which you could do more consistently than sprint variables. What can I deduce from their sprint ability in game or in practice? And how should I monitor and change things based around that? Right. I've become very right. passionate about that. So that's my coach brain. And then the third side, the business yeah. side, the business side is always like changing and startups are, are a lot of fun, but they're, they will drive you insane. But what's next <laughs> right now is like hiring a couple new people. Obviously it's difficult in this market just because you don't know where things are going to be in a couple months, but we're hiring some people to help us build out our future and just continuing to take care of the people that have been with me. So Dylan was my first yeah. intern ever, and he's still here. Cece, I, I snatched from a PT clinic and I won't let her leave. 
and Drew <laughs> Drew is death row for Drew. He can't leave. So just trying to <laughs> yeah build with the people we got. So I love it. I love it, dude. So much respect for what you're doing. Talk about being old, man. I'm like 11 years older than you. <laughs> no, it's cool though, man. It's yeah. cool to see what you've done and what you've accomplished, man. Keep working. I'm excited for you. Future is bright, that. man. It's been amazing catching up with you. I feel like we could probably talk for two more hours, but where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff that you're working on? Twitter is a good one. And I kind of have all the points to it. Less seven Spellman. Instagram, same thing. Less seven Spellman. What else? Probably my website, lessbellman.com or spellmanperformance.com or universalspeedrating.com. But yeah, like I'm probably the most responsive on Twitter, mainly because every time I read something, I'm like literally annoying all the researchers. Like, hey, I saw, I got a question. So I'm always on Twitter. So it just hit me. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart though, dude. I wish I would have been like that earlier, right? Just willing to ask any question. Like that's how you get better. You got to ask the right questions to the right people. It just exponentially increases how fast you learn things and the results you can get. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Just literally ask for time, have your questions there, send a follow-up, write a letter, send a gift on a loop. Yeah. Like just, hey, what's your yeah. address? Send them a letter, send them a cool picture of your kid. It works, man. It's crazy. It's the industry yeah, is small absolutely. enough. In 10 years, it may not be like this because like, I'm sure yeah. like, the top lawyer in the world isn't responding to the bottom lawyer in the world. And <laughs> I was the bottom coach in the world and I was hitting up JB and other people like teach me and they're like, cool. Yeah, no problem. It's such a cool yeah. thing. So yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, again, Les, thank you so much for coming on, man. This has really been great. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's episode with Les Spellman. Really hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I took a ton away. I mean, I was literally taking notes as we went through the show. Really liked, in particular, a couple sections. The first being the different phases of acceleration. I think I've heard it explained like that before, but I thought Les did a really good job of breaking down those different phases of acceleration. I love the section on force plates. Now, granted, I'm a little nerdy in that area, but I think it's really cool how he's using... You know, some of those certain markers like MRSI to figure out, okay, where is this person at? Are they tapered? Are they peaked effectively? So using it as a proxy measure to see how well they're going to run when it comes to the combine. I thought that was cool. And then, man, just the force velocity profiling. And it's definitely something I want to learn more about. And I thought Les did a great job of breaking that down, giving us really a bird's eye view of his assessment process. So really, really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, do me one of two small favors. Number one, if you're not already subscribed to the show, go and do that right now. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, the Amazon Store, even on YouTube Podcasts, wherever you like to listen or watch podcasts, go there right now and hit the subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. If you are already subscribed, thank you. Go one step further and share this episode with a friend, a family member, a colleague, another trainer, coach, rehab professional. Anybody that would benefit from Les and his message, if you could share that with them, I would truly appreciate it. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with our next episode. Take care.